Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Crane Wife itself, the song that the record is named after, is in three parts. The record actually begins with part three. And then the next to last song is parts one and two. And at first you're like, oh, it's too bad. They couldn't have put one, two and three all together for me. But it was actually a brilliant move because the album and begins with the ending. It ends with the big celebrational building, 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 sing along. It's, it reminds me of the way the Joshua Tree starts. You know, like you listen to Where the Streets Have No Name and you're like, well, how, where's this going to go? I'm not saying these two songs are, are come equal on, in quality. Come on, seriously? They're not equal in quality. Seriously? But it has this You know big... what it reminded me of is Sgt. Pepper's and also the Bible. <laughs> 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Fifty-year-old white guys love weather. Howard, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. My knee's a little achy. <laughs> we got rain in California, Jeff Simons. We do indeed. A little unexpected late March uh, thunderstorm. It's great. Oh dear! Oh dear! Ben Barton. Timmy, I imagine Asheville follows Knoxville in the late spring cold snap. Yes. Which, indeed. by the way, uh, are you a fan or anti? I, I, I like it. You know, it's bright, sunny skies. I'm okay. We have a mosquito problem what? at the Already? Barton Kincannon Mansion. And so <laughs> the, when, the mayoral. Yeah, totally. Mansion. And I'm too cheap to pay for exterminator. So I need that late spring freeze. Good. Like when the hard freeze happens, I'm like, die, die, mosquitoes. <laughs> I love it. Well, welcome to 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. We're all. We're all 52 now, right? Uh, yeah, I think I am. Yeah, nice job. All right, so we're, you. we've made it this far. Um, and we're exploring the music of 2006 on the Electrocast Podcast Network. We're at the stage of our podcast, gentlemen, where I can't clearly remember what we've covered uh, in the previous years. Very much a 50-year-old white guy. Right. Uh, so by the way, super professional, too. Tim. Yeah, that's a good sign, right? <laughs> oh, I'm up front with my audience. I went over 2006. I'm like, gosh, I think I talked about that. Did we talk about Steve Irwin? 
it feels like something we would have talked about. Have we talked about Steve Irwin? Is he the crocodile guy? Yes, from Australia. He dies in 2006. And he's eaten by a crocodile, is he not? He is not. The question was going to be, this is good, unless we actually did cover it, and then it's bad. (laughs) What creature did Steve Irwin succumb to? (laughs) That's a great question. Am I confusing the crocodile death with the grizzly man death? Because the kid who hung out with the grizzly bears definitely got eaten by a grizzly bear, right? He did. That was bad. Oh, I don't know what year. I'll have to check. I tell that story every year in Torch 2. Why? Is that a tort case? In Torch 2, we cover uh, strict liability for owning a wild animal. And I try and explain to the students why it's a bad idea to own a wild animal. And I always point them to that movie, which is like 45 (laughs) minutes of this dumb hippie being like, grizzly bears are beautiful, man. Who could be angry at these beautiful animals? Look how nice they are. He's eating a salmon out of my hand. And I'm like, dude, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you, and he just gets eaten. Oh, That's the end of the movie. Yeah. Spoiler alert. You know, it's funny that Richard Thompson is one of my favorite musicians. Did this, did the soundtrack for that. What? And I always wanted the last song to be like, like, it's just like him, like yanking his hands off the, the oh guitar. Well, I would they... give him a thousand dollars if he did that live. Like, here's my theme from Grizzly Man. It's a fantastic <laughs> movie. It's a Werner Herzog movie. And um, <laughs> they do not have video of the guy getting eaten, but they have audio of it and they've yeah. never released it. Like it's too, yeah. it's yeah. too bad. I've oh, met Werner Herzog. Oh, He's a fascinating guy. He made a movie about uh, the father of a kid that I taught and came and talked to Branson and like had lunch with a bunch of people. Like he a dynamite uh, person to spend the day with. My favorite Werner Herzog story is from the Mandalorian. He plays the client in The Mandalorian. And so he's in a scene with the puppet that's Baby Yoda. So they do the scene. And at the end of the scene, they remove the puppet. And the the director say, okay, now we're going to do it against a green screen so that we can zoom in the puppet if we don't like the way it looked with the physical puppet. And Herzog goes, I will not do this. You will use the puppet shot. You are cowards. Cowards. You know not what you have. That puppet is magic. No green screen. Isn't that amazing? And by the way, couldn't have been more right. Like that oh puppet is freaking gold. Yep. This this podcast has gone off the rails so yes, dramatically. Sorry, I apologize. It was a stingray. Oh, that's right. How do you we die have, by stingray? He asked us a question. <laughs> And we we somehow got into an impassioned defense. It was a stick of the little Yoda. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's go. I think our audience is now ready. They're wondering what was the album most appreciated by the Grammy voters in 2006. It's the Grammy winner. Taking the Long Way by the Dixie Chicks. I'm not sure I could They say Time heals everything But I'm still waiting 
song of the year too right that's the dixie chicks that dixie. is indeed uh their grammy winning album taking the long way i actually can't remember did i think it, i think you're right so this is great we can't remember our own podcast. i remember that we talked about the dixie chicks before we did okay so we think they won the grammy for song of the year you're saying i'm pretty sure what they did as well they swept this year they killed yeah. it this year and i, they I thought were it was able unfortunate because take... it was political they were yeah. able to take the the folky thing of the Indigo Girls and put just enough new metal stained like <laughs> push really? production under it and push it right down everybody's throat. That about, low keep that low country? keyboard, like it's uh, that song could also be. Well, it's been a while since I was eating a Coke or whatever that stupid song is, but it's the same like huge dumb piano chords uh over the top of everything to kind of create that dark mood the yeah. first couple of chords are rocking in the free world too right yes uh, that's no what it sounds about. like so it's interesting you bring up the piano and the keyboards this is going to be the topic du jour of the 2006 podcast uh let's not get into it right now but i like where your head's at jeff simons um, and I might have to read a quote of yours to the good people uh -oh. in regards to this discussion we're going to have. But first things first, 2006, Twitter is launched. Yay. Um, <laughs> hey, can I ask you guys a question? Yes. Um, I experienced Twitter as the worst social media. I'm Absolute, not on LinkedIn, absolutely but I consider it the worst. Hard, hard no. Uh-uh. It's the best. Okay, um, let me, I'll explain why I consider it to be the worst, and then I'll be curious to hear what you think is the best. Okay. Um, so Twitter is a much more professional space for me than Facebook, and I don't do Instagram or TikTok. Um, but on Facebook, basically, I rarely look at Facebook and feel bad. Like, I rarely look at Facebook and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not doing enough in my life, or I'm not successful enough, or I'm not checking off the boxes that I should. Whereas Twitter really makes me feel that way because it's a professional space. So, um, I mean, basically, first of all, I assume I make other people feel bad, other law professors. I'm like, oh, like I, I got a book coming out and I was on C-SPAN and they must be like, oh, I, I feel bad about that. No, but then, they're, but then they post, but then they post and they're like, oh, I got a, a law review article coming out in Harvard or whatever else. And I'm like, oh, let's see, this is something that I should be doing. Like their updates, like a, a, a Facebook update, when I see somebody else has got good looking kids or is having a nice vacation, I'm like, I also have kids and vacation. <laughs> like it doesn't make me sad. But Twitter somehow actually like physically bums me out. Oh, and then there's the toxic part of it. Like there's so much more arguing in politics on Twitter that also bugs me. But but it's the actual experience of fear of missing out and jealousy that I get much more on Twitter than I do on other um, locations. Okay, Jeff Simons. Oh, I like Instagram. Instagram's the happy spot. Like it's just pictures oh. usually, and uh, people like their Sunday or people are looking at a nice view. 
or they like a record and they put a picture of the person up. I find Instagram to be like the place where everybody's just agreed to be like, here's a thing I'm looking at now that doesn't make me sad. And other people like it. Um, I don't get, I don't see nearly the same vitriol on uh, Twitter and, and I'm inundated on Facebook because I, I, I basically just see the funny things that my friends say, like, it's a pretty happy space for me. Like I don't, I don't experience very much politics stuff because I learned how to game the algorithm a little bit and I don't like anything that isn't, right. you know? Yeah. I think that's pretty key. Pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, neutral. So, uh, yeah. So I guess I'd rank them Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Cause I find Twitter, like I can't keep up with Twitter. Like, like I, I go away from Twitter and I hit the like update and 775 different angry messages go flying by me just so I can find out what Tim put up. I, I think, um, I think Twitter's got really funny people on it and, and they know how to use it and they're, they're hilarious. I also think um, like really smart uh, journalists, um, screenwriting Twitter is terrific. Uh, black Twitter is terrific. Music Twitter is out of this world. Um, and of course we, on our Twitter feed, follow podcast Twitter. Um, so lots of insights there. And I just, you know, if there, if there are nutcases out there, I just block, block, block. Yeah. I like and, your style, Timmy. I should yeah, learn from Yeah, it's good. You. I also, I find Twitter uh, professionally exhausting too, because when I go on Twitter, I get, send me your music links. I'm making a podcast. Do you want a review? And I'm just like, ah, so trolling my music <laughs> on Twitter. Like I could send my links to a thousand different right. places yeah. every day and still feel like I hadn't done enough. So That's... I share a little bit of Ben's professional exhaustion. Right. Well, Good to uh, good to discuss. It's funny that you guys are are, are ranking these things because I was about to ask you uh, because in 2006, Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton and Britney Spears were spending lots of time together, going to clubs, throwing drinks, fights, scenes. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? So I was going to ask you if you were a single man in 2006. Oh, dear God. Who out of those three would you most want to date? Timmy, no comment. Next question. <laughs> For me, okay. who are the three? <laughs> Paris Hilton, Britney Spears, and Lindsay Lohan. I'll choose uh, a life of quiet contemplation. <laughs> They're also too young for us, man. Move yeah, on. Yeah, that's oh, the other no, thing. Of course, they're too young. I'm saying if we were their age. Just move on, on. Ben. What's wrong with you? All right. That's like, delete, delete, delete. Yeah, no, for Danger. sure. Are you kidding me? You India listens moment? to this podcast. You By the way, would it be better if I was like, oh, Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> that's the answer to me. Lindsey Lohan. I mean, that is that's not no, like, let's just move do. on. No. Wait, you know that moment in the movie about Sully when you could hear the computer telling him they need to pull the plane up? Like, target, like, you know, like, uh, you know, Critical condition, impact imminent. That's like what I have in my head while you're asking that question. <laughs> All right, I've got easier fare. Oh, good. An E. coli outbreak kills three people in the Midwest in 2006. Oh. Uh, which vegetable was to blame? Spinach. It was indeed spinach. Wow. Which is my, if it's done right, favorite vegetable. And I would ask the, the two of you to rank your top three vegetables. Go. 
Jeez. I like spinach a lot. That's a good one. Okay. Um, I love cauliflower. I, it's my COVID, my COVID discovery. Like I could eat roasted cauliflower with like the balsamic thing that Suze does. Okay. 300 nights a year. Yeah. Roasted cauliflower is amazing. I go tomato. Yes. Corn. Yeah. Also amazing. The t- fresh tomato, fresh corn. Yep. Oh, <laughs> so good. And then I'm going to go broccoli. Yeah. I like broccoli hey too. Now. I like all of those. Those are all great. I'm in kind of a vegetable moment. Like I'm actually like, I'm looking forward to the vegetable most of all in my evening meal these days. Like, I don't know what's going on with me, but I've been super into them. So when I was at Northeastern university, I got locked out of my apartment and I went over to uh, this young woman's apartment, had a massive crush on her. Um, She was the coolest English major at Northeastern university um i I, I, um mandy shraft was her name Uh, if she listens hey how's it going but anyways she was nice enough to invite me in when i got locked out of my apartment and she's like i'm just making dinner do you want some and i said that's so nice sure a bowl of broccoli with a little bit of pasta no sauce no olive oil nothing Best meal of my life. I was like, oh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I did, you have to for- did you have to force that back like you were uh, like, you were on a television show? I was like, I've never seen this before. What is this that you for me? I'll never anyway, forget the Tim, time I, I went just- out. I went out with Tim and, and one of his brothers and uh, ketchup was a little heavy for him. <laughs> like, oh, this ketchup's a little spicy. It's like, <laughs> that was a real that was a real moment. Also, Tim, I like the dating strategy of locking yourself out of your apartment. You're like, one way or another, I'm going to have to meet a girl. That'll be it. I'm going to lock myself out and then I'll have to do it. Not my first rodeo. Uh, What significant, this is a really hard question. What significant Beatles event happens in 2006? The anthology uh, comes out, including Free as a Bird, First Song in Forever. Incorrect. Okay. It could be real, but no. <laughs> oh, that's 1995, right? Sorry. Help us, Timmy. In 2006, Paul McCartney turns 64. He wrote we a song. We still need him. Yes, I know. He wrote a song when he was 16 called When I'm 64. Time passes, gentlemen. Time <laughs> passes. That was a hard question. Uh, anyway, By the, the way, isn't that amazing? That was it. He turned 64 18 years ago, and people are paying $1,000 to see him in concert next month. Still, yeah. Including right here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah, man. Wow. He's got two nights in Oakland, and I can't afford the tickets. They went for, they're going for so much. That's amazing. Uh, do you know who was Times Person of the Year in 2006? It was you. Ah, uh, when they put that little mirror cover on the uh, on the magazine. I wonder how that sold. You think people got excited and bought that so they I could think, go home and hold it up? I think Trump did. I think he framed a couple. <laughs> All right, moving right along. Let's get to the number one. Oh wait. Oh, this is when we usually insert an ad. How about our advertisers lately, guys? Huh? I know. Boy, so anyway, did they Timmy. do some. Go ahead. My dad asked me how he can change his comment to bad. 
Well, hi. Because he's super mad about the ads. <laughs> Tell him to hang in there. We're trying to pay bills here. Come on. For sure. You also, pick- like, it sounds like they picked the right products. Isn't Volvo one of our advertisers? Yes. And the official car of the 50-year-old white guy, no question about it. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's actually their their ad slogan, but by the way, when do we get to read the copy? I want to be one of those podcasts that actually reads the cheesy copy. I want it. I mean, I'm excited to, to grow up to be those guys. Yes, because that would be interesting to read in my Volvo. Oh, <laughs> I was pretending we were doing a, a read. All right, let's go. I've got the number one selling album right here. It's the number one album. High School Musical, the soundtrack. First of all, Ben Barton, do you know what that is? Is that Miley Cyrus? It is no. not. Jeff Simons, could you go to We're All in This Together? Okay. I like that one. This is the, the closing tune uh, recreated by the Asheville School faculty uh, in a song and dance number at the fall pep rally. <laughs> uh, choreography by Kathy Liner Myers uh, and Tim Plain. Um, this is high school musical, Ben Barn. You didn't watch this with the girls? Oh, yeah. I didn't listen to this, but I did. I was forced to watch some of this. Yeah. This is the moment of the growl girl vocal that drives me crazy. There's nothing worse than like teaching 12 year old girls to do that, like when they're coming into a note. And this record's full of that kind of singing. It drives me absolutely up a wall crazy. I'm in a note now. All nasal front voice. Super, super over sexualized for something called high school musical. All right. I will. um... But I digress. Let's uh, let's move right along. Uh, I did not buy this album. Anyone else? No. <laughs> no, I did not buy this record. You know this record so well, too. America, Tim was genuinely digging. We're all in this together. There was a real dance happening while Ben and I looked quizzically at his little. That Zoom was cube. only because of the muscle memory from the oh. dance <laughs> I performed. Um, all right. Before we get to our big discussion of the night, the best-selling single-platform video game of all time comes out in 2006. 
So single platform, like you could only play Space Invaders on Atari. So this was a, a video game you could only play on a specific. Oh, you're going to ask? I, I'm, I'm the video game. Group. Right. Now that you've that. got Red, Go, Dead, baby. Red Dead Redemption 2 or something. And, like, and by the way, I finished Red Dead 2 and now I'm on Red Dead 1. Okay. I went back to the to the first. Uh, the I believe it's story. Halo. Halo it, is going to be the best-selling single-platform game. Not Halo. That would have been my guess too. Is it? Is it? Um, Call of Duty. It is Wii Sports. Oh. <laughs> Why are you shaking your head, Ben? Is that beneath you now? Now that Wii Sports sh- comes with a stupid machine, right? That like, do you have to buy Wii Sports? No, uh, it came free with the machine. That, I don't even see how that counts. No, I. No, this was the second one. We, no, this Wii Sports came with the machine. Wii Summer Summer Games was the was the uh, sequel. Or, or Wii Island Resort. Yeah, Olympics or something. I have a little Wii knowledge. I I will uh, I'll admit. Susan and I Susan and I got so good at Wii Tennis that we had to put the game away because we were putting Will to bed. And it's staying up to like 1.30 in the morning. Just, just going to the game. Beating the shit out of each other in Wii Tennis. Like both of our characters were like, had like a thousand points of ability. And everything we did was like a thousand miles an hour and a trick shot. And like, we like almost broke a glass and a plate and got, like two lamps. Too much. Oh, we were so into it. Oh, that reminds me of my Tetris days. All right, gentlemen. In the first season, we did uh, top three vocalists, top three guitarists, top three bass players, top three drummers. We stayed away from the piano and we stayed away from keyboards uh, because one of us doesn't always appreciate that particular contribution to music. Um, If anyone feels comfortable speaking now they may so we're going to do top three keyboard players that we're going to do do you want to yeah sure let's do this thing that's fine (laughs) Jeff, you go ahead and go first (laughs) you said that in the same way when a doctor's like it is time for your colonoscopy and you're like yeah sure let's do this (laughs) it's it's the equal level of enthusiasm all right jeff Uh, simons you have a top three I don't know if I do. I just really pick one and I'll pick one and we'll do, do this thing. Uh, he's just like, you're like, just shut up and pick a guy. I really like uh, the way David Sanchez plays the piano. He's a side guy. He was in the E Street Band. He's the keyboard player on Born to Run. He then joined a whole bunch of other great bands in the 70s and 80s. He was in Sting's band. Ben and I saw him play in Sting's band together. Um, okay. He's an incredibly tasteful guy he never overplays he he plays different kinds of chordings without getting too jazzy and annoying and i just think he has a terrific ear so he's the first one that jumped into my head okay ben yeah so i have two different categories i have like the tasty side person who adds things and that's sanchez and then i have the front man who also plays piano yeah um and the front man who also plays piano is a tough one I, i'd be happy to choose aretha I'd be happy to choose Ray Charles, but I'm going to choose Little Richard. Yeah. Little Richard is the OG balls to the wall piano player, set the standard for that entire group from him all the way down to Ben Folds, Little Richard. Yep. He's great. Eight. Can we just 
agree that Ray Charles and Aretha would both be on our list and pick yeah, other sure, more yeah. obscure folks because they're both those are both tremendous picks. Um, I really, I mean, Ben Folds is probably the most recent example of a guy who has made the piano like watching a guy play the piano interesting and palatable without being annoying. Like he plays the piano so that his songs come to life rather than writing songs so that he can play the piano, which I think is the crucial problem with many piano players is they think that we're there to hear them play a million notes on the piano. Um, and I like keyboard players. I like players who are like, think of the keyboard as a rhythm instrument where they occasionally do something cool rather than everybody, shh, 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 I'm going to play the piano now. And those guys drive me absolutely crazy, which is why Ben's love for Billy Joel is absolutely doesn't make any sense because Billy Joel plays Don't the piano. Don't make me choose him. Don't make me choose him. Billy Joel plays the piano in exactly the way that makes Ben want to go home. And yet he still finds a way to, to have a soft spot for him. But um, so I'll say Ben Folds. He's great. He's, okay. he's a new guy. All right. I'm going to do my obscure pick. Here, she, here he goes. Chuck Berry's pianist, Johnny Clyde Johnson. That's pretty okay. good. That's pretty obscure. He is fantastic in the excellent, outstanding Chuck Berry um, biography slash biopic. They have a whole section where Keith talks about Johnny Clyde Johnson and how the bulk of Chuck Berry's songs are written in piano keys, not in guitar keys. And it's because this guy really set the sound. It's beautiful. Sweet Little 16, if you want to hear some really tasty piano playing with a band, Johnny Clyde Johnson. So okay. for my super obscure pick, I'll pick a British session musician who is the keyboard player on every 1960s British hit where you're like, I didn't know this band had a keyboard player. They didn't. They hired a guy named Nicky Hopkins to play keyboard. Nicky Hopkins does all of the piano that you ever liked on every Who, Kinks, Rolling Stones, any really? 60s English rock act, all the Joe Cocker records. They just bring him in? They just bring him in. He was like, he was like five foot two and 86 pounds and passed away sadly. He was a pretty frail, unhealthy guy. Um, but he is a spectacular piano player and he kind of invents rock piano i think like wow. all the stuff he does for all of those bands he's on a bunch of zeppelin tunes too yeah like he's just great so nikki hopkins is my super obscure pick really cool oh that's good i had the same basic concept i had ian stewart slash yeah. Billy preston so those are the same guys ian stewart <laughs> actually was an original member of the rolling stones in 1963 and the manager was like nah he's too ugly get him off the stage he's too so ugly then, yeah, yeah. That he became like a roadie and he played piano with him when they needed behind to. the and curtain. His one really, really, really big sort of star turn is Boogie with Stu on physical graffiti um, for Led Zeppelin. So it's like he came out from behind the Rolling Stones. Was he out. that unattractive? I mean, we're talking about the Rolling Stones here. It's rough. Yeah, that they looked at Bill Wyman and were like, uh, him, he's OK. Well, you need a bassist. You don't need a piano player. That's true. All right, and I'll so, just throw some love at Ben Montench, who's uh, oh, that's a, a fantastic piano player in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and has done a whole bunch of remarkably tasteful session work as well. I love Ben Mont's playing. So I've never as, heard Ben Mont ever play a gig where he didn't play every note he played. I was like, ooh, that's a good note. I like that note. He's really terrific. So real quick, just so I can understand, as we were exchanging texts, Jeff, if you don't mind me sharing. No, no. You said there are plenty of good keyboard players. They just don't play piano. 
that's when they suck. What is that? Well, that's what I was trying to say earlier. Like, I, I don't like, I mean, I don't like Ingve Malmsteen because I don't like to listen to guys play scales. Like, I want to hear, I want to hear a virtuoso play music. And there's a lot of piano players for whom the whole point is, and they just pull focus and they're, they're a pain in the ass. Forget about, forget about piano players for a second. Hold on. I actually pulled my two, two of my least favorite keyboardists. But yeah, I'll see if this helps you out. Because keyboardists are part of bands and you're saying, I don't like this band because of, of the way they use keyboards. Yeah, so example number one okay. is the keyboardist who's added to fill in space slash sound. Reese Winans, who joins Double Trouble behind Stevie oh, Ray Vaughan on their third record. All of that cheesy Stevie ass. Stevie Ray V3. gets addicted to heroin. And it, by the way, it's super hard, super hard to be in a trio and be the world's greatest guitarist. Like that's very challenging. Okay. Just ask Jimi Hendrix about it. But um, Jimi Hendrix had the good taste to die before he added a keyboardist. (laughs) Stevie Ray did not. He dragged this guy out. It's like just like that soupy, useless keyboard sound where it just fills up space. I hate that. But I don't hate that as much. I think it's Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. I think I find that to be the most offensive. Now, there's some ELP like in Yes, but Yes has other things going on. It's not just ELP. Um, And the really aggressive version of ELP is, of course, Europe, the final countdown. The final version of it. But when they're just doing that, they're like, you know what would be amazing is we had a horn section, but we replaced it with a Casio keyboard. That just (laughs) grates on me. Yep. Okay. And I would that say the, the guy from Deep Purple is a great example of like, oh. how many more of those notes do I need to hear? Like, it's like, I like the song Hush a lot. And then, uh, and I kind of like the beginning of uh, Highway Star. And then it's like 14 minutes of Ian Lord going, just playing like oh the same God. four organ notes forever. I just I, had a flashback from like the time before I really knew Ben. So this is this must have been at Breadloaf, Jeff. Yeah. Where you said something to the effect of my buddy Ben thinks that the doors are actually like a lounge act. Cheesy that, lounge act. That eviscerating accurate rips on a band of all time. Oh my gosh, that's come <laughs> flooding back to my brain, right? Yep. Raymond Zarek. That's true, man. Some of those long meandering, like when the music's over is just it's a that's a lot to take in that cheesy keyboard sound for 12 and a half minutes Woo! all right good stuff well i hope that when we get to my album pick which features a piano i'm keeping my fingers crossed that we're going to be okay with it but let's get to our three albums Are three albums. Ben, I think you're first. I am, in fact, first. All right. So I experienced this band as an emo band. So emo is a rock music genre that actually starts in the 90s and grows to great popularity in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, and then has a pretty steep cliff off of it um, as it kind of like moves into self-parody. Yeah. Here's what's likable about emo. It's kids 
who have strong feelings, which I'm for. Like I'm a 52 year old guy who's got strong feelings. So I like that. Yep. It has some of the bones of punk music. They kind of claim punk music. Yep. Um, Here's some things I don't like about it. Many of the bands are too slick and feature a guitar sound. I do not like. Yes. So we've previously discussed my chemical romance. I have mixed feelings about that, but there's several good, my chemical romance songs. We have not discussed panic at the disco. This like, I don't know, seven or eight really good Panic at the Disco songs. Um, this band, weirdly, it's not 100% clear that they're actually emo. I experienced them as emo, but by 2006, emo is not cool anymore. So they were definitely not claiming this label. That being said, this is my favorite emo band. <laughs> Whether they're emo or not, I think that they're super emo. This is Tokyo Police Club. Oh. New Market Ontario's own Tokyo Police Club. They form as one band in 2004. They know each other in high school. Then they get back together. And uh, by 2005, 2006, they're starting to have some success. In 2006, they put out their uh, EP, their successful debut. And uh, I really, 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 really just love Tokyo Police Club, A Lesson in Crime. Seven songs, all of them under three minutes, just bang, 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 all the way through. My favorite one is Citizens of Tomorrow. But Jeff, I'm going to ask you to play the first, like, just five seconds of Nature of the Experiment. This is what they sound like. And if you like Nature of the Experiment, you're going to like them. (laughs) So it's like a super bass heavy right up front. The bassist is the singer and the songwriter, too. So they got like a little police action to them. There are uh, a really, really, really happy, happy is the wrong word because they're super emotional. They're like kids who are really fired up and are yelling at you over bass and guitars. And by the way, that's a recipe that works. Like just, I will eat that all day long. That's a 2006 recipe. That's a 16 recipe, presumably in 26 and 36, God willing, I will still love this kind of music. My favorite song is Citizens of Tomorrow. Jeff, I'm going to ask you to start at 47 seconds so you can find that while I explain Citizens of Tomorrow. Thank you. So it (laughs) starts out with a slow part with just the band clapping and they're Uh explaining, so this is in 2006, that in 2009, the robots have taken over the world and enslaved all of the humans. So that's where we find ourselves. Okay. It starts slow and then it goes into the fast part. I believe at minute at, at 47 seconds, we're going to immediately start with that's 2009 when they put us in the place. And then we hear about the woes of being a slave to the machines. Jeff. A lesson in crime by Tokyo police club. That's 2009.
seems so much more uh, vigorous than emo rock. Oh no, there's a bunch of songs that are like that. Um, this yeah. one, the thing that's really likable about this, and my so I like that it's bass first. Yeah, it makes me really happy, and I, I really dig that guitar sound. And, and then also, like, dude, I will like at random points of the day, I'll be like, no, we can't, no, we won't, no, we can't. Like, it just comes to me. Like just those like happy young kids from Ontario who are like 19 at this point, just screaming back at you about the things they're not going to do. just <laughs> always makes me super happy. Good stuff. Wow. I've never, never heard of this band. Can't wait to check. Yeah. It out. So this is their EP. Then they have a major label debut. I they got so many records years later. Then they got a bunch of records after it. My impress, my recollection of this is that I was just over the moon about the EP. And then I was sort of, increasingly disappointed by their records okay. um, i listened to the ep all week and i was like wow this is fantastic i should go back and then i listened to just all of their records on shuffle pretty good uh -huh. pretty good okay. nothing's as good as this there's nothing as pure as this that's right they have a keyboardist and the keyboardist becomes more of a a, a featured element which is <laughs> uh, um, but i mean they they have they, they have some good songs like basically their entire catalog is worth listening to but definitely start here that would be my suggestion okay. saw them at bonnaroo in 2010 they were great yeah nothing to add i've always liked this base of ben this is a ben uh pick introduction to me and uh you know what's great about this band the real problem with emo is the songs aren't all that great a lot of the time they're just not all that hummable like the melody will be the chords and so like if the chords are going da 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 the singer's going i'm singing to you and i'm singing to you and this after like 20 minutes of like unison melody i get a little bit burned out but these guys don't have that going at all like the bass is all over and all that great single note guitar scratchiness and then the singer is like it's totally unpredictable i always like this band so all right uh genre question i always associated emo with like mazzy star and slow and morbid but i'm wrong no that's like trip hop i don't think that's emo at all huh i wonder Am how, I right jeff i wonder how yeah i, I wouldn't call that head. i wouldn't call that emo like I guess there's like, that's the kind of sad version of it. Like Dashboard Confessional is an emo act. Yeah, totally. Um, and they've, he's got, or they've got some like sad stuff. It has a Mazzy Star vibe to it. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll do a little research, but before we move on, <laughs> can we agree? Oh, I'm sorry, Mazzy Star is shoegaze slash dream pop. Yeah, a dream pop. It's not for... shoegaze at all. Dream pop, I'll give you, but shoegaze is like, my bloody valentine and all that like just stuff that's still echoing in a in a concrete warehouse somewhere or yeah. wait ben are you in your computer right now go ahead uh, top five emo bands what comes up on the google we'll do that um speaking of shoe gaze i saw the band low at the big ears festival here in knoxville tennessee okay and uh, I dragged Georgia to see them. Not uh -huh. pleased. Not pleased at all. <laughs> uh, that being said, I really enjoyed it. It was super fun. All right. 18 best emo bands of all time. Just give us the top five. Don't worry about the 18. Uh, well, Panic at the Disco 16, and they're my favorite. So that's a problem. Okay. Fallout Boy, Death Cab for Cutie, Ugh. My Chemical Romance, Brand New, Jimmy Eat World, American huh. football and sunny day real estate. Yeah, that's 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 okay. I would have said some of those bands. Um, 
You just ran a, did you run a marathon in Knoxville, Ben? I saw pictures. It was a relay. I ran a relay with some other professors and we whipped up on the student group. It was Let's a student go. group against a professor group. Come on, and old we man. We just ran them ragged. Love Don't it. fuck with a bunch of old professors who can't afford to lose anymore. I mean, what are those kids <laughs> thinking? I hate to monopolize the time, but I will just go ahead and say, so the, the woman who ran the first leg is uh -huh. just a super nice person. And um, I volunteer at a homeless shelter every other week. And we, I bring students with me and we, uh -huh. with them, we give them legal advice. Anyway, she's there Dang. and she's like, oh, I'm on the student team. And I'm like, oh, what leg are you running? She's like, I'm running the first leg. I'm like, I'm running the first leg too. Uh -huh. She's like, don't worry. I'm super slow. I'm, I'm like, I haven't trained at all. I'm looking at 13, 14 minute miles. I might walk some of it. So I was like, ha, ha, ha. Anyhow, I run the first leg, I finish it, and she's freaking standing there, like what? tortoise in the hairstyle. Like she's just completely done with it. And she looks not winded and like she's been there for like 10 minutes. I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? You said you were slow. So she's like, no, I, I ran really fast. I just happened to run eight minute miles today. I'm like, okay, sure, fine. But they ran the marathon the day after the barrister's ball, which is they call it the law prom. And the second leg, got super drunk and hung over and overslept. So even though the first woman whipped up on me, the second woman was 10 minutes late yes. to even meet her and run the marathon. <laughs> so I was like, it's better to be slow and organized. There's a lesson in life. Yeah, there's a lesson right there. God. Good stuff. That's All a 50-year-old right. guy lesson right there. Like, yeah, you know, for sure. Leave your keys where you can find them. <laughs> Jeff Simons, over to you. 2006. 2006 it seems like seems like it was about like something around 15 years ago uh so my pick for 2006 was a very popular record with music nerds in 2006 it is the one record i truly love by this band this is a band that uh it took me a minute and uh what won me over was just the audacity of this record so uh the decemberists are from portland oregon like Ben's so mad at me. Look how mad Ben is. I love this. Uh, they made uh, a couple of pretty good records for Kill Rock Stars, which is a, an indie label up there. Um, Colin Malloy is the songwriter. And I'll admit, the Decemberists, every, the first three records, there's two or three songs where I'm like, this song is great. There is absolutely nothing I have negative to say about this song. The Sporting Life, 16 Military Wives. There's a bunch of great ones. There's also songs that annoy the hell out of me. And I found the whole thing a little precious. Like Malloy's voice is pretty stylized. There's a lot of moments that feel uh, very Portlandia and I couldn't quite turn around on them. They got signed to Capitol Records. I mean, a major label debut. And I assumed that it would be like, like we have been trained to think of major label debuts. It would be safe. Uh, it would be like their first two records, but all scrubbed squeaky clean in a fancy studio. And looking at the looking at the back cover, I noticed that on a 10 song record, two of the songs were 12 minutes long. And I am a guy who is intrigued by a band Not a problem. that wants to put out a 10 song record where two of the songs are epic. And length. So because it was 2006, I took the record over to the listening booth. I fell for this record immediately like somebody dropped the safe on my head. It is so much better sounding than anything else in the December's catalog. It has a big, 
rich, gorgeous mix. The drums are huge and beautiful and the bass is so big and dead center in an era where bass was invisible on records. Like this is the era when bass was meant to be felt but not heard. I played on a bunch of records in this era where I could have just like strummed the air randomly and I would have had the same impact on the record of the, the sound of the record in the final mix. Mm. Not this record, big, wide, beautiful mix. And it's so full of attempts to swing for the fences. Like even the short rockers are really well put together and the epic songs just do it for me. The Crane Wife itself, the song that the record is named after, is in three parts. This record actually begins with part three. And then the next to last song is parts one and two. And at first you're like, oh, it's too bad they couldn't have put one, two, and three all together for me. But it was actually a brilliant move because the album and begins with the ending. It ends with the big celebrational building 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 sing along it reminds me of the way the joshua tree starts you know like you listen to where the streets have no name and you're like well how where's this gonna go i'm not saying these two songs are are come on come on seriously not equal in quality seriously but it has this you know what it reminded me of is sergeant peppers and also the bible (laughs) i don't i just mean that like the first song swings for the goes for the whole thing, goes tries to eat the whole meal. Like, well, what comes next? What comes next is a 12 and a half minute weird ass song called The Island in four parts with goofy, weird keyboards that lead into acoustic guitar reveries into guitar solos. This record is all over the place. This record is what if REM Uh-oh. and Pink Floyd Okay. Went on vacation. Okay. Got a little drunk, wrote a record, and then asked the head, uh, like whatever high school kid runs the local and like audiovisual club uh-huh. to sing lead vocals. It would sound like this. Like Malloy sounds like just a hopeless nerd, and this record is this big, loud, like unapologetically bizarre rock and roll record. I'm a fan. It has aged well for me. None of the other Decemberist records have aged well for me. Like, I like individual songs. The real bummer about this band, this is why Ben is so frosty. They are not a great live act. I've seen them four times. Oh, and they're super precious and obnoxious. And they are not a good live act. Even this show, I saw the Crane Wife tour on night three at the Warfield. I had a great seat and they just couldn't bring it. They just, the songs were beyond them. Like, they weren't good enough as a live act to pull these big songs over yet. They got better, but that just bummed me. It made me so sad that they'd recorded a record they couldn't replicate. It does not mean that listening to this record is not a a glorious experience for me. I'm gonna play a minute of The Island. I'm gonna play just this weird moment where it's a prog rock record and then it's an acoustic ballad record and then it's something else. Because if you if you like this at all, You'll love this record. And if you listen to this and you're like, I don't know. Yeah, fine. There's a record. There's definitely a December's greatest hits mix somewhere on Spotify with all their three minute songs. And you should check that out. Or you could just ignore them altogether. But here's the island from what is one of my favorite records. And definitely my favorite record of 2006. 
The Crane Wife by the Decemberists. going and going there's another great melody after that there's another great melody after that like this is i mean a a major label says we'll give you a whole bunch of money to make a record they're like fine and they throw the fucking kitchen sink at this record i love the audacity i love the ambition and there's some beautiful lyrics on this there's a in the crane white song like i squeak uh, when i'm listening to that song i squeak a tear out almost every time he sings i am a poor man I haven't wealth nor fame, just have my two hands and a house to my name. And the winter is so long like that. Oh, like that's a, not a bad description of lonely 50 year old white guy. <laughs> like when his family's on hey, fun fact, he has a degree in American studies. You can feel it. You can yeah. feel it. And not and that's not a compliment to many of his of his songs. This, yeah. this guy uses the word cormorant. More than anybody should ever. I think he's used the word cormorant in three different songs. I like cormorants too. They are very pretty birds, but good Lord, man. So with all of Ben's inevitable, very accurate criticism of this record's uh, faults. Good stuff. It's good the stuff. Good stuff more than outweighs the bad stuff for me. All with right. Life. Go ahead, Ben. So I'm happy to admit that this is the best December's record. Um, the records after it bleed back to this record and ruined it for me. Yeah. Seeing them live. That's interesting. Ruined it for me. Yeah. This guy is a massive, gargantuan, inexplicably huge douchebag. 
there's the list of his instruments, none of which he can properly play. Acoustic guitar, 12-string acoustic guitar, electric guitar, bazooki, harmonica and percussion. It's the bazooki that gets me. It's the yeah, bazooki that's... that's murdering. Wait, where 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 is where is that listed? That's on Wikipedia. <laughs> and by the way, Jeff, did you enjoy his EP where he covers Colin Malloy sings Sam Cooke? Oh, so did you think that was a good look for him where he was like, you know, who needs a refresh by a white American studies major from Missoula, Montana is Sam Cooke. I I feel like I have something to say about Sam Cooke. He also did a worse. He did a Morrissey covers record, which is a little That's more fine. in his wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be so much <laughs> be better okay. than Sam. He's like, you know, you know who really needs to shine a light on that guy? The worst, the worst. Hey, you know, um, he didn't. He you know didn't what cover, else murdered him for he me? He cover Billie Holiday. So his sister, Miley Malloy, uh-huh. is a famous short story writer. And we did one of her short story books in um, book club. I think it's a 2009 collection. I looked it up. It's a 2009 collection, which I also despised. And the combination of this obnoxious, <laughs> obnoxious family from Missoula, Montana, lecturing to me about how much smarter they are while he strums along in the bazooki and she reads her, her stories to me, out, out, wow. hard out. Like wow. it, it, there's just something so over the top and precious and studied and self-created and phony, like phony to the phony. bone Whoa. about this band. Whoa. Oh, totally it's all a complete act it's a complete act it's the worst um all of that being said <laughs> this is not a band that i hated immediately it right. took a while and yeah. I, tr- I and i gave them every opportunity i've seen them live twice yeah um and i i really listened to this record at jeff's behest uh and i just like it, it wore on me and then all it right. wore on me and then everything that happened afterwards wore on me worse can't stand them this seems like a weird follow-up question. Uh, what's your favorite Decemberist song? Who knows? I mean, it must be something on this one. I have no idea. I despise them, though, so it's hard to say. Where have you seen them live? I saw them at Big Ears and at Bonnaroo. And I what's saw them at Bonnaroo with Ben, and I saw them twice in San Francisco, and maybe I've only seen them three times, but they, they aren't good. They don't deliver as a live act. I've, okay. I mean, they're, o, they're a solid 0 for 3. And I'm pulling for them. I'm a guy who knows every word, every lyric, who wants it to be a good show. And by the way, and, it's uh, Malloy's fault, in my opinion. It, he's the star of it. He thinks that he can play. He can't play. There's a version of this that's really, really, really easy where he gets he gets studio people to surround him. He's got the money to do that. And they play the songs and he sings along with it. That would be fine. But that's not what he does. He's a real like he thinks like he, he behaves as if he's Springsteen. Like he's out there like wandering around and talking to the people in the band. And the people in the band are like, dude, you suck. What are you doing talking to me? Go, go, go do your own thing. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, what's funny is I don't disagree with anything Ben said. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I still like this. Re- that's how good this record is. I agree with all of Ben's criticism of the Decemberists in general. He might have gotten a little personal there by ripping on his sister, but <laughs> but I still think this record. I will say this: this is the a record that's fallen for me in estimation more than any record I love unconditionally. Like this record went from like I'm going to love this record for the rest of my life. I'm going to listen to it a thousand times. To no, that's still a good record. 
And it's the other thing that hurts my feelings is I have a list of Jeff's 500 favorite songs by year. And so I can go to the year and just guess what Jeff's going to choose. Here are (laughs) other options that Jeff had from this year. He had the Arctic Monkeys record. Fantastic. He had the Beth Orton record, Comfort of Strangers. Awesome. Awesome. He had Built to Spill, You in Reverse. Tremendous. Definitely my favorite Built to Spill record. The Gnarls Barkley record. And out of left field, really, I like held out a little hope in my heart for Lily Allen. But no, nope. I almost I thought we talked about nope. Lily Allen. No, nope. we get the Decemberists. Lily Allen got talked about in season one, so I couldn't do it. I no, love you that. didn't talk about Lily. You didn't choose a Lily Allen song, did you? Somebody did. Somebody chose. Um, somebody chose. I thought you chose uh, our song from that record. I, I was I was sure she was off limits, but we'll figure out a way to talk about Lily wow. Allen at some point. All right. She's the best. All right, well, Tim. Who's your keyboard? Uh, who's your keyboardist? Well, I t- I, just to follow up on the Decemberists, it's so fascinating to see um, or, or to hear your different takes on the Decemberists when you both uh, saw them live. Like you, you both had the experience of seeing them live at Bonnaroo. That must have been really memorable for the two of you to see them. Is this a show that you were at with us as well? <laughs> yes, jackasses. I was there too. I was with you. This was the foundation of our podcast. In 2007, we three went to Bonnaroo together. We three saw the Decemberists together and were disappointed together. But I guess I'm not part of the cool crowd. Oh, my God. That was good. I like it. Well done. Actually, that was so good. I actually feel a little bad. But I do remember uh, thinking how weird that that performance was and then reading um, like in Rolling Stone or something, Malloy talking about how they went out and did the the anti-concert festival set to really throw people off. Like like it was like performance art to to just do a really. Do you remember? Do you guys remember that they did that tour that where they did the shorts and the longs? They did two nights in every city. And the first night they did only songs that were four minutes and less. <laughs> and the second night they only did their epic tracks. Oh, I missed So it. like if you went to the it. longs night, they only did like seven songs, but it was two and a half hours because they did detain <laughs> these two long songs. Maybe. I was meant for the stage, oh, like all of their nine to 20 minute numbers. I thought like if Ben has to spend some time in purgatory, He'll have like backstage passes to the longs by the December. <laughs> oh no! Listen, first of all, it's clear what I'm going to listen to. It's Carnival Number no. Nine by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. They're just going to do that in a loop. That'll be it. Welcome right. back, my friends. Well, let's wrap this podcast up with my take. Uh, I'm going to talk about boys and girls in America. I know we talk about also. Oh, we saw the Hold Steady here uh, at Bonnaroo in 2007 together. And And they were terrific. They were terrific. And their keyboardist slash piano player looks like he's from Shanana, but he's actually from the Hold Steady. Um, And I think he's terrific and uh, hit us with uh, Stuck Between Stations, Jeff Simons. Yes, sir. Boys and Girls in America by The Hold Steady.
That's when I think that South Paradise was right Boys and girls in America They're such a sad time together Sucking off each other after demonstrations Making sure they make us straight Crushing one another with colossal expectations Depending on discipline, sleep and wait She was a really cool kisser And she wasn't all that strict of a Christian She was a damn good dancer But she wasn't all that great of a girlfriend and girls in america what do you think of the piano on that track oh. that, that track is great the, the I mean, piano is great very tasty the way the piano comes in after yeah, the totally. car oh glorious awesome yeah glorious. it's a very he's got like a like it's weirdly springsteeny oh it's um, not weirdly it's like a total roy bitten homage oh yeah no great. but i mean like everything Super except percussive. for the, the harder guitar parts are very very springsteen and but it's a reboot on it because he tells the, the the same stories you know like me and crazy yeah. Janie making love yep, in the dirt yep. like yep. but it's like a new version of it with a lot more um party drugs but just fantastic <laughs> i love i mean we've been through this before but i freaking love this band i still love them there's multiple songs on every record they put out that i love this is not my favorite one but this one's great this is your favorite song on it. You wouldn't choose South Town Girls. I like uh, uh, "Give Me South Town, Town Girls." Go. I like "Chips Ahoy." What's not to like on this record? They're all great. Girls like status. South Town Girls won't blow you away, but you know that they'll stay. South Town Girls won't blow you away. But you know that they'll stay You would both be happy to know that on the Japanese version of this CD, the Hold Steady does a cover of Bob Seger's Against the Wind. And we have that oh, that's perfect, great. I have not heard that. that I gotta perfect hear. marriage of piano and Midwest storytelling coming together. Oh, it's glorious. Glorious, I'll tell you. I am not going to be able to feature this in 2021 because it's not going to be my album of the year. Uh-huh. Open Door Policy by The Hold yep. Steady includes the number five track, Unpleasant Breakfast, which so is a good. top five hold steady song can't recommend unpleasant breakfast more just He's so fantastic. right an amazing story song about like being in a rhode island hotel uh-huh. on the beach and eating a breakfast with burnt toast like it's just fantastic <laughs> it's literally about an unpleasant breakfast <laughs> that's great Combine that with uh, what is the Wilco song Sunday morning with Jane Smiley or something. We'll just put it all together. Like a, like a nice um, jam. Songs right. of the week, songs of the week mix Monday through Sunday. There you That's go. What I should do on our Twitter feed, right? Like send out a song of the week, like every Monday at 10 a.m. Song of the week, every Friday, 10 a.m. Video of the week. I should do this. Will you guys help get, me? Get it together, marketing know. department. Yeah, man. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> I will speak to them. You know, 
ever since we introduced casual Fridays, like things have been kind of slack. We're going <laughs> to tighten it up. All right, guys. Thank have, you, guys. Have a great hey, wait, day. We didn't even mention we're the worst. If you care about hearing something interesting, people, if you made it this far, then go over to C-SPAN and watch Mr. Benjamin oh, yeah. Barton and the interview he gave on his upcoming book, The Credential Court. It is so good. The book is arriving at my house tomorrow. I'll have a Woo! full review for it for the next episode. The interview was terrific. Ben, Ben just absolutely kicked ass I for tweeted an hour it out. I tweeted out the interview, so check it out on our Twitter feed. Uh, the Credentialed Court. If you want to know anything about the Supreme Court, this is the book to buy. Who can argue? We've muted Ben. Too kind. Too kind. So that was really appreciate argue. it. It really was great. It was really like, you know, you know, when you're watching an interview and uh, it's your friend, and at first you're like, come on, friend, you can. And I just, he was so good after two minutes, I could just relax and watch it. And then I had this moment of like minute 38 where I'm like, this guy's pretty fucking good. Like, pretty oh, wait, smart. it's Ben. It's still Ben <laughs> kicking ass and being so good at this. And um, you were so good. I forgot it was you for a second. It was, it's really excellent, everyone. Check it out. And later this year, Jeff, you've got your book coming out, The Credentialed Backcourt. Uh, Steph Curry <laughs> yes. and Clay Thompson. It's a history really of all the great backcourts in NBA history. That's right. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Hey, are you guys watching Winning Time on HBO by any chance? Are we How is it? I haven't watched it. Oh, I, I'm very eager to discuss it with you when you've had a chance to watch it. All okay. Right, we'll do. This All is right. the Lakers show? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ch Chick Hearn, Spencer. All yes, right. Chick Hearn is, is, is a, uh, plays a small but hilarious part. So I mean, far. he's perfect. Perfect. Yeah. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Well done, Thanks, fellas. Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your hosts for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.